Hello and welcome to Success Stories with Kendra Hall, the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. I am your host, Kendra Hall. One of the recurring themes I've learned as I've interviewed these super achievers is so many of them have this pivotal middle moment of proclamation. I mean, there's the moment when you have an idea and then there's a moment when you take action. Many people never get to the action step, which is true, but I'm now starting to wonder if part of it has to do with skipping the middle moment, this moment of proclamation, declaring to yourself, yes, and even more so to someone else that this is a thing you are going to pursue. There is so much to take away from the conversation I'm about to share with you, and I really can't wait for you to hear it. And keep an ear out uh, for her moment of proclamation, and maybe ask yourself, is it time you say what it is you want to do next out loud? Get ready. You are about to hear some stories you haven't heard before. Today's success story is Jen Hatmaker. Jen Hatmaker has written several books, including New York Times bestsellers for The Love and Of Mess and Moxie. Her latest, out just this past spring, is Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, The Guide to Being Glorious You. She hosts the For the Love podcast, is an accomplished speaker, and the founder of Legacy Collective, a community of givers who nominate, approve, and distribute grants to amazing organizations all over the world. A native of Austin, Texas, she's also a wife and a mother of five who demands that all of her children keep the pickles on their Popeye's chicken sandwich, lest they grow up to become convicts. Jen, welcome to success. I can't wait to hear your story. Thank you. I did indeed say that. That is my pickle philosophy and I stand by it. I am just trying to raise civilized grown-ups who know that you eat pickles on fried chicken sandwiches. That's just the rules. You're I don't not make gonna, them up. You're not going to believe this. The other day, I had to call ahead and order some food. I was ordering cheeseburgers for the family. And they said, what would you like on it? And there's, you know, lettuce, tomato, onions, ketchup, mustard. And I said, and pickles. I eat cheeseburgers for the pickles. So, oh, yes. Who oh, takes well, this off? is relationship's going to work out just fine. <laughs> this is one reason. of my key values. Yeah. I, I believe that. I believe yeah. that. Well, Jen, I, um, as you know, I, your name has been in my sphere for a long time. And I'm sure on the minds of many of the people who are listening to this podcast, who've read about you in Success Magazine. But I want to start, I want to start kind of in the middle here because okay. I have a question for you. Um, okay. What would you say, first of all, what was the, the big book, like the New York Times bestselling book? That was in 2015, right? Well, all three of my last books um, have been on the Times list and they all, we laugh in my team because every single one of them debuted at number two on the, on the list. And so we're like, that's our spot, guys. Like that, there we are. Like we own number two. That's where we go. That's where we land. You so know, I'm just proud of those. Yeah. Yeah. At least they know who they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there, but you had, I believe six books before 
that oh, first New York Times bestseller. Is that right? Did I read that right? Not just six. It was more like nine or 10. <laughs> I mean, to tell you, if you want to talk about slow and clunky beginnings, I'm your girl. Good. I am your girl. I'm the one who worked essentially in obscurity for a decade, um, just grinding away, like figuring it out with absolutely no success in any commercial sense, you know, in any way that most people would say this is successful. Um, and, and I'm not, I regret nothing. I'm actually mm -hmm. grateful for those years. I'm thankful um, that I had this runway to learn the craft of writing, to discover my voice, um, to grow into a, my own worldview, to really inhabit my own life. Well, essentially nobody was watching. Right. I mean, it was low stakes, low risk. Um, I learned how to work hard with like one half of one golf clap. Um, and so I never, I never was doing it apparently for applause. I mean, I wanted to, but I just wasn't able to. So it wasn't for applause. It wasn't for approval. Um, it wasn't for traditional success. It was for the love of the work. And I'm grateful for that. That has served me well in yeah. this season of my life. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's exactly where I wanted to start is with the clunkiness of yeah. it all, because I do think that we, and even though we know it now, we hear that phrase over and over again, there's no such thing as an overnight success. And I really think everyone that I've talked to quotes 10 years, like everyone says there was that yeah. decade before, which is funny that you just said it now. And even though we know that, yeah. Still, when you look at someone and all of a sudden, I remember all of a sudden, I just started hearing Jen Hatmaker, Jen Hatmaker, mm -hmm. Jen Hatmaker. It was coming up between, it was in my friends, it was with my colleagues, it was, it was everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and it just seemed, your name, you, just seemed, seemed to come out of nowhere. So can you tell us a little bit, like, you mentioned those 10 years. Can you yeah. tell us about that first year? Like, like sure. when you think back to that first year, tell us what that looked like. Sure. Um, <laughs> This wasn't the path that I envisioned for myself. I didn't have the imagination to even envision a career like the one I have now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this was all pre-internet too. So there's just, not, it didn't even, some of it didn't even exist. Right. It wasn't even a possibility, but I was a teacher. I was a fourth grade teacher and um, had yet, I, I hadn't stepped into the confidence of really looking at my life and connecting the dots and realizing, wait a minute, this is what I love to do. This is what I'm good at. Um, there's maybe a way to make, to build this into my work. I, I didn't have that yet. I stepped into something much for me at the time that was safe and predictable and even expected. And so, yeah, I was a teacher and then I had a whole bunch of babies, like all in a row, one, two, three, nobody told us not to do that. And, <laughs> and so I, I, I stepped away from the classroom when they were little, little to stay home with them. And I remember, um, so I had them every other year. They're all almost exactly two years apart. Mm -hmm. And so when my third kid was about to turn two, so in my spawning cycle, that would have been baby time, right? Yeah, like this is yeah. when we pop out babies, yes. like every other year. And so he was cycle. creeping up on his second birthday. I was 29 mm -hmm. and I told my husband, out of the clear blue yawn. It wasn't for me, it had been simmering in my brain. But I told him, it's time to birth something. I feel like we've reached max capacity on the child front. Right. 
I think this summer, instead of having another baby, I'm going to write a book. And he was like, well, that is an interesting thing to say. <laughs> hey, where were you? Where were you when you said that? Do you remember, like, were you in the kitchen? Were you like, I, these are those like pivotal conversations you that we so have. Right. No one's ever asked me that. That is so funny. I was in, I know exactly where I was. Mm -hmm. I was in the car. And so it was that safe thing because he was driving and couldn't look at me, right? Because yes. nobody's asking me to write a book. Zero people. <laughs> nope. I didn't even have a computer. I didn't own a laptop. Um, we had dial-up internet. Like nothing made sense. Yeah. I'd never written a book. That wasn't what my background was in. I, w I had no, nobody was saying to me, this is something you should do. It was just an absurd thing to say. So I thought, you know what? He's driving. He has to keep his eyes on the road. There's nothing he can do about it. Because, you know, he was hoping, of course, that I was about to return to the classroom. We didn't make two mm. dimes. We were struggling financially. We had all these babies. We were barely making it month to month to month. And it was such a financial pressure cooker. So, of course, he very naturally was thinking, well, this is real exciting. She's about to go back to work. Yeah. Um, and this is, we're going to relieve some of this pressure. And so the, for me to say at that moment, I don't think I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to write a book nobody's asking for was I, I, God bless him that he didn't just drive into a tree, you know, he could have, and nobody would have blamed him. But let me give him a lot of credit because I talked to him a little bit about, I think this is what I meant to do, babe. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't, but it's burning. him. like, I want to put my fingers and I want to write words and I want to tell stories. And he went home and he bought me like a $200 used laptop off Craigslist. And he plugged that sucker in our dial-up internet. And he's like, I'm going to figure out a way to stay home on Fridays. I'll figure out a way to work from home so you can have a day, a week to write. And he really believed in my dream. He put, he put wind behind it. And, and here we are, like 12 books later. So thank God. Oh, what a beautiful... Yeah story and i think that and i think it's so i think it's so important to bring this up to talk about this because i've i felt this i felt this way it's myself my kids are 17 months apart when i called yeah. and told my mom that oh. i was pregnant with the second yeah. one she said already i was like that wasn't well. the thing that you say another grandchild no no it was already yeah um and and I remember it when I had my crazy idea and it was actually my husband who was, um, mm. the, he could see the dream before I could yeah. as yeah. a matter of fact and, and how grateful I was for that. So can you tell, have there been other moments and I wasn't planning to ask you this, but it came up. Have there been other moments in, cause I know you are a powerhouse and I mean, that your resume speaks for itself, but are there other moments where that relationship, that support of your spouse has, and I read somewhere that you said, um, a self-made is a lie. And I want to talk yes. more about that, but I think this too can play into that. Are there more of those moments that, that we can hear about for the men who are listening, who yeah. can be supports to their wives and for the women who are listening, who are thinking, I don't know if my partner yeah. would support me. Yeah. It's no exaggeration to say that if I did not have the unrelenting, absolutely unconditional support of Brandon this whole time, which I always have had every second of every minute of every day since that day in the car. Um, I, I honestly, I can't even fathom where I would be. It, it, it's, it's that important. It's not, um, 
it, it was that essential to my path. And there were so many moments along the way, because what happens is um, when you write a book and somebody puts it on a shelf, then people start coming to you saying, oh, can you come speak at my thing? Can you speak <laughs> at my event? Can you speak at my conference? And that started happening. And I was like, do you think I can? Did somebody tell you that I could do that? Like, do you have any intel that suggests to you that that is in my wheelhouse? But so I, that was definitely second in line for me learning how to be a speaker, but I did. And so as my publishing career started, surprisingly, so did a speaking and a teaching career. And so that was unexpected and I had to flex a completely different muscle, which included travel, mm. time away. I mean, it's, it was a, it was a absolute sea change in my career in terms of what it required of me. And so at the time, you know, we had elementary age kids, you know, little kids, middle school. Um, and it was a lot. And at that point we were already moving into our, the, our, the adoption phase of our family. So we added two more. So we're talking like five kids. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it was no joke for me to get on a lot of planes and fly to a lot of cities and come home the next day or the day after that. You know, that was no joke. Mm -hmm. And Brandon told me something early on because I had that very predictable mom conflict. Like, is this okay for me? Is this okay for me to build this career in this way? Is it okay for me to hold my family cherished in one hand and my ambition in the other? You know, nobody asks men that, of course. Right. But these are the questions women ask. Yep. And I remember just being in a real place of like, is this okay for me? Because it was bringing me such life. I mean, you know what it's like when you step into what you're meant to do. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a sense of flourishing. Um, but I mentioned to Brandon, I'm like, I feel conflicted and I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I don't see a lot of women in my space who have careers that look like this. I don't know if this is okay. And he was like, look, if what you're worried about is us at home, he said, Every time you get on a plane and you go somewhere, and typically for me, my work trips were overnight, but still, that, there was a lot of them. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, I am not treating this time as if I'm just going to try to keep the wheels on till mom gets home, like till she can get back and do all the things she does. He said, I am going to treat these trips of yours as an opportunity to like absolutely connect with the kids mm -hmm. and be super dad and a super husband. Yeah. And he did. And so I honestly think in so many ways, what my kids clear memory of that season of my life is less that I was gone and more that dad was great. Yeah. And, and I would come home and he had it, everything, every single time, clean, tidy, neat, organized, managed. Like it just served me so well. It served my work. Mm -hmm. It served my work because he removed from me an obstacle that I was creating and inventing, mm -hmm. but still there it was. Mm -hmm. And managed it as a partner. Mm -hmm. And so uh, without him, I would have, I would have crippled my own work and I'd probably cut it off at the knees. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I, I think it is. So one of those decisions that, you know, I think back on my parents and the people that I dated and mm -hmm. I know they were just terrified for me. And of course, like parents are, but now looking back, I realized that that decision is no, and you know, who you choose as your partner, whether, whether that's a, a male, female relationship, right. male, male, female, female, right. your choice as a partner is, is that uh, it can mean flight 
or it can mean grounded, but yes. not grounded like in that, you know, uh -huh. like, so take your time for, for any yes. of our listeners, take your time yes. with that decision. Um, but I love hearing that part of your story because um, it's so possible. And I think people, you know, that's right. need to know that's that. That's right. Now, something else that you said in there way at the beginning, so I want to go back just a bit. You said, so we're back, you know, 10 years ago, um, you wanted to write a book and there's still more to say there, but you said something really interesting that kind of almost goes against what we sometimes hear when it comes to personal development. And this is something that I personally have struggled with. I'm sure many other people have. You said, I couldn't envision this. Like you couldn't see back then or probably throughout many of those 10 years, the grandness of what this has become. Can you, can you tell me a little bit, because so often we hear you have to have your big dream and see it crystal clear. And yeah. you know, like it's this, and, and I, I myself have been like, what, what's my big dream? I kind of like mm. wake up in my dreams, I guess like, mm. Oh, I guess this is part of my dream. Can you, can you speak a little bit to that? I thought that was totally such a powerful thing to say. Yeah. I appreciate you asking that question because that can be sort of a crippling concept. This, this nebulous idea that it is upon us to, with crystal clear clarity, discover that teeny bullseye dream and then craft every decision we make to get toward it. As that happens occasionally for some people who just have a, a clear vision mm -hmm. and a long runway on how to get there. It happens occasionally, but that's not the in my, that's not the normal experience as far as I have seen. Right. Um, the majority of us only see the next two to three steps. Um, we may have a real fuzzy eye on something that's down there at the end of the road, but how the hell we're going to get to it, we, I don't, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I was recently talking to Elizabeth Gilbert. She was on my podcast. And, you know, if you've ever talked to Elizabeth, it's like, like you just want to, you want to like lay your head right into her lap and let her like pet you. She is so <laughs> wonderful and ethereal. Um, but we were talking about this idea and I loved what she said. She said, you know, I don't even like the word passion. She said, it's too much pressure. It's too much pressure. It comes with this um, sort of unspoken idea that your passion has to fix everything or solve everything, or it has to be grand, or it has to be audacious you know, or it's going to mean an, a complete renovation of what you're already doing. Or it has these sort of delusions sometimes of grandeur. And she mm -hmm. goes, it's too much pressure. Mm -hmm. I'm just a person. I don't know everything. And so she said, I wonder if we could reimagine um, the way that we discuss what we are dreaming of and dreaming toward and thinking about as just curiosity. Like what yeah. if we just stay curious toward it? Like I notice, for example, if I was going to put this in my life, I have always loved to write. Writing is where I found my voice when it was really, really shot, painfully shy and quiet. I, the writing is where I told stories. Writing is how I worked on my feelings. Um, I was constantly making up stories. I'm going to stay curious toward that. That, mm -hmm. that, might be a, that might be a clue for me. Mm -hmm. That might be a little marker along the way saying, hey, pay attention to me. This is something that has brought you a lot of life since you were six. Um, let me just stay curious toward it. So I'm not going to squeeze it into 
passion or a concrete goal or, you know, this is what I'm going to force this thing to look like at the end of the road, but I'm going to stay open toward it. I'm going to keep my hands open toward it. I'm going to stay curious um, with possibility and let me see where it takes me. Now that works for me because then all of a sudden we can just kind of do the next thing, the next thing. And then we do the next thing. And you know, you would know as well as I do, that just may take you somewhere you never even expected. Right. I mean, here I am talking to you on a podcast on the internet. Well, these are <laughs> right. not words we even knew right. a long time. You know, why would those words didn't even exist? Right. And so this, this way of staying open to possibility, um, I think is a wonderful way to live and begins to pull us gently into the things that we're meant to do. Yeah. And I think that when you say, you were just talking, when you were mentioning Elizabeth Gilbert, like petting you on the side of the face. Yeah. Very jealous. I don't, yeah, yeah, I, she's, we were actually supposed to be speaking at an an event together. Boo. I don't know if it's still on yet. I think it might still be on. It's in the fall. It's in the fall. Maybe. New Jersey just opened. New Jersey just opened. That's true. Is that where it is? No, but still, New Jersey okay. opened. <laughs> let's, let's whatever New whatever New Jersey does, like yeah. hold on. As a New Yorker, I've never said that before in my life. Um, That's so, so true. It's a new yeah, day, right? It is. It is twenty twenty. Whole yes. new ways of thinking of things. Um, I love this this idea though of curiosity, which actually curiosity is one of my favorite words because it does, it mm. just seems it's so full of po- uh, possibility without that yep. pressure. So so yep. no wonder that. Together in that way, I also feel like, and I want to get your thoughts on this. In when you're in that place of curiosity, which it sounds like, I mean, you were a teacher. You nobody was asking you to write a book. That's right. Um, when you're in that place of curiosity, I do feel like there can be moments that it's almost like a little pinball machine, not as violent, but like the, like a person kind of taps you this way, or you discover something new and it, and it taps you this way, or a conversation and it taps you this way and kind of puts you on this path. Do you have any memories of those, of those first 10 years um, of people who came into your life or ideas that just well, a much like Big Magic, honestly, Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert's book, where they just kind of come to you and, and the yeah. beauty that happens when we're open to them. Do you have any of those stories? I'm totally, mm. I did not, I, yeah. I didn't send you these questions in advance, so no problem. Yeah, um, yeah I think there were some real touch points along the way, little markers that said, this you're on the right path this is the thing like let me show you what this looks like what the what sort of um outcome or possibility exists on the other side of your work that makes it worth it because i am a person who loves meaning like uh, it's important to me to have meaningful work um success to me is great and achievement is great i'm kind of wired that way i'm an enneagram 3 if you know anything about the enneagram and so that's just my bent yeah. but if there is not deep meaning inside of it it will not last long for me it will have a shelf life i'm not motivated enough um by some of those other traditional success lines to stay at it and so i think there have been moments of great meaning along the way that helped me keep my foot on the gas. Some of it were, um, this is more like of a catch-all, 
But I mentioned earlier that I had to develop a muscle for speaking. And you said, you know, that's your work too. So you deeply understand this. It's completely different energy than writing, completely different. And I'm an introvert. Um, and so that proved to be really challenging for me, all of it. The travel, the preparate, the talk preparation, which I am obsessive about. So I know I started talking to my colleagues and realized they can write a talk in a couple of hours. It takes me 20, yeah. you know, like I'm just really slow to develop that. And to this day, and I've now done that for so many years, I still am nervous and I still have all my notes on stage with me. So because speaking was such a challenge for me, but so it arced with my career there's kind of a season where being in a live room with women and then saying words that I had labored over, absolutely mm -hmm. labored over, that I tried to pack with truth and meaning and possibility and hope, to speak them out of my mouth and then to watch them begin to land on hearts and to see this visceral reaction in the room, to see women respond, to see them respond to each other and to me, to the energy in the room, to the truth, it still feels like a miracle. Mm -hmm. It still feels like a miracle to me. Mm -hmm. And so I remember when, when that opened up for me and I thought, oh, there's power in this. Like, this is a powerful way to lead and to connect. Um, this is real. I think another little ping pong for me was when, and I was a late adopter. I always am. Like, let me give you an example. I am slow to technology. I still have and use without irony an AOL email address. Okay. I so just this making sense to you, I am a grandma. And yes. so I'm always a late adopter, but when I finally kind of stepped into the potential of social media, so I'm going back a ways. You asked me to kind of span. Yeah. Yeah. So when social media was sort of a fresh, new, shiny thing and, um, we were still not sure how it was all going to work in our lives. You know, it was new. And I just sort of tiptoed out there. I found that that offered me such a special and precious place mm -hmm. to expand who I am and what I do. Yeah. Um, because as an author, which all, that's what I had been up until that point, you write a book, it comes out a year and a half later. It's so delayed. Like it's so far away. By the time a book is released, you can't remember what you said. I know. Um, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I have to like, if you're in an interview, you like go back yeah. through and page through your own book. Yes. Yes. So the internet provided this immediate connection with my community, which I found to be an immeasurable gift to this day, to this day. And so in real time, then I was able to become a leader in real time, as things were happening in the world, um, as I was parenting my kids, as things came and went really, really quickly, and were not going to be evergreen in book form, mm -hmm. but lived beautifully online. Yeah. And, and then I came to like blogging. And so that online space, I credit um, with developing me into the writer and the leader and the thinker that I am today. Oh, I just... And yeah, how could you, you're right. How could you have imagined that? That wasn't, that wasn't a real, it wasn't a real thing back. I got an email address, a first email address. It was on campus only my senior year yes. in college. So it was just intercampus. And I remember looking at my friends, like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I mean, <laughs> we're going to write each other on a computer and what you're going to go read it on the computer. I'm like, I'll just call you. 
It was just, it was so beyond our imagination um, to see how that was all going to transform our lives. But, uh, you know, a lot of ink has been spilled about how terrible it all is and how much it's robbed us of community. And in some cases, that's true. And we're definitely keeping our eye on its effects on the American and the, well, really the international psyche. But the internet has also provided for us an incredible way to connect, Mm -hmm. to lead, to reach, uh, just, I, I, it's a, it's a beautiful t- tool in most of our toolkits and I'm thankful for it. Um, this is a great segue because I think one of the things that, that I know I respect so much about you is, um, your courage, your bravery. Um, there've been many points in your career where you haven't, uh, said the thing or gone the way that people expected you to and, or that you expected yourself or that others, right? Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about those and those decisions to, those decisions, yep. Totally. So a big, a big percentage of my career was built inside, um, evangelical women's subculture. It's a thing. Yeah, it's, no, it's it is. It's a whole yeah. thing. It's a little, it's its own ecosystem. Yeah, right? it's 100%. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's its own thing. And so that's sort of where I came up. That was my comeuppance and um, where I began my work and where I built it and where I developed it. And I was a star. <laughs> so yeah. it worked. I know the language. I know the rules. I know what's expected, especially of women. It's a completely different rule book for women than men. Um, so I, I was prepared to give that room what it wanted because I knew it. And, and, and I did. And I was rewarded, like everybody is, with the currency, which is belonging. I got to belong. I got to stay a part of it. Um, that was my prize. Um, and so I, um, the problem is, as I was over there and growing and developing and maturing like adults do, as my worldview was expanding, as my perspective was expanding, I discovered that I was in possession of some pretty intense um, questions, mm-hmm. some doubts. Some, there were places where the fabric was really starting to rub for me inside this construct that I had such favor in. And, but those were um, not allowable. Those were not questions that we asked. Those were not forms that we pushed on. Those were not um, ideologies that we questioned. And I knew, I knew that. It's very, very predictable. I already knew the rules. I'd seen other people break them and watch the consequences. Right. And so I knew that should I leave, should I open myself up to that? If I told the truth about what I was thinking, what I was changing my mind on, what I was believing, what I was asking, that while rewarded with belonging, it would be the first thing that would be revoked. It'd be the first thing I forfeit is my sense of belonging there. But um, I got to this point where my internal tension and cognitive dissonance was so severe that I, I looked myself in the mirror one day and I said, Jen, you are either going to get to hang on to your career as you know it and where you've built it, or you get your integrity, but you do not get both because they are in opposition to each other. Mm -hmm. And I picked my integrity. And so to put a finer point on it, um, what this looked like for me was questioning a lot of the structures that had always kept this intact. Things like um, patriarchy, 
um, how women could not even access their own spiritual authority in those spaces if they were forbidden, um, what it looked like um, to have a system that had been very interwoven with white supremacy since its Western foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately for me, it was the complete um, affirmation unequivocally of my, of all of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors. That was the nail in the coffin for me. And so those were untenable mm -hmm. as a leader over there. And so that season of my life closed. I'm saying that very gently. It burned. That's more appropriate. You know, my books were pulled off shelves, yeah. out of print. So it was a complete revoking of the community, complete. Um, and it's the best decision I've ever made, ever made. And so integrity was my path out. And truth and honor and justice led me to freedom, which is where I live now. So I'm free. I'm whole. I am honest. I'm not afraid anymore. Weirdly, that process purged me of fear, mm. which was the very thing keeping me from doing it. Mm. And it was simply fear of loss. I, it was self-preservation. That's it. And so eventually self-preservation doesn't hold any water compared to integrity. And that's where mm. I got. And so, and so here I am. And grateful for every single step and grateful for what has been rebuilt and where I live now and how I lead and who I lead. My life feels so incredibly expansive right now that it actually feels like a miracle. You know, I think it's such an interesting, um, you know, your most recent book, uh, Fierce Free and Full of Fire. I was reading that. Well, it was launched in quarantine. I'm a physical yeah. book reader, so I yeah. still don't have my hands on it, right? So I was yeah. like read, scrolling through it, but that first, yeah. even that first chapter. Um, yeah. We're recording this now in 2020. It is, I don't even know what date it is, so that is very apropos of 2020. We are sometime in early June, and I was reading that first chapter of the book, and I think that... Um, 2020 has done anything. It has uh, made us raw. Like so, yeah. so open and so yeah. like taking away all of these things that were so yeah. with, with first, first with coronavirus, these things that were so guaranteed, these things that were so, and right. then as we're in that, in, in that raw state, then we have um, Black Lives Matter. And, yep. and for some people, myself included, I knew about that, but I hadn't been, and, and because I was so, like, this has been, this is brand new for me, um, my, and, and I feel like I've been feeling that tension that you, and not, I mean, I'm, I'm in a different audience, but I feel like a lot of people suddenly yeah. are feeling this awakening, and um, just what you said there, fearing that self-preservation uh, versus integrity. Do you remember, what did that what was the action you took? Do you remember, like, I'm going back to the, um, like, the car story that you tell. Was it a blog post? Because I know for you, mm. that first step was the, mm. like, what was it? What was the moment where you yes. were like, the tension was too much, and you're like, yeah, I'm yeah. doing this, yeah. When did I rip that band-aid right yeah. off? Yeah. Right, because any, any astute observer who had been watching me for a couple of years was noticing the tears in the fabric. Mm. I mean, it was very apparent that I was struggling inside the construct that I lived in. Very, very, very apparent. Yeah. I mean, I was, it just, I'm a person of justice and deep conviction. And so when ideas 
are when laws and legislation and even doctrines, if I'm going to go back to that spiritual space, are harming people, when they are keeping people disenfranchised and marginalized and and traumatized, I believe they bear examination. Yeah. I mean, call me crazy, yeah. but I'm like, I don't think this is working well. And so um, that was already happening. And so the fabric was tearing and I thought maybe I can keep this thing together. Like yeah. maybe I can just be precious enough, funny enough, entertaining enough that when my feelings come out of my mouth, they keep doing, I'll be able to like patch it up. Like mm -hmm. somehow I'll tape it and we'll, but um, ultimately the thing ripped in half when I did a uh, very, very public interview and in it said that for me and my husband, um, we were wildly in support of the LGBTQ community and had, we believed that all like gay marriage could be holy. Mm -hmm. That was the chair of the fabric. In and an interview. So, and it was, it was wildly viral and then spent several months just at the epicenter of a firestorm. I, I couldn't even count how many like articles and hit pieces were written about me. I could like, I could never even count it. We got uh, people mailed our books back to us. My husband's an author too, burned, shredded, left on our doorstep. Our, they said horrible things to my children in public about us. Um, it was devastating. So, How did it feel in that time when you were in the firestorm? And and I, I I bring this up because I feel like whether it is advocacy, whether it is your beliefs, whether you're in a job yeah. that that you're feeling that tear, like this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be doing yeah. something else. Um, it's not like oh, I'm going to do something else. You know, okay. it does. It's not always like that. It sometimes right. it is like fire. So what did it feel like when you so you did the interview and all this has yeah. happened? Did you question it? Like hmm. what did what did that feel like in those Days, I knew, I knew what was going to happen. It was, mm. as I mentioned, predictable. I'd mm. seen it. I wasn't the first. I knew exactly how it was going to go. So in some ways we were prepared and we had very much um, prepared our world for it. We had unhooked and unpartnered from virtually everything that we could so that the collateral damage would be minimized. Uh, okay, yeah. And we'd cleared the deck. We'd cleared our schedule because it was going to be cleared for us if we didn't. And so in some ways we were prepared in other ways, I, the, the severity of it, mm. the longevity of it, um, was shocking, like mm. absolutely shocking and, um, and traumatizing. I hate to, I'm, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. Um, but it was, the loss was overwhelming. I had a friend, um, call me during that season um, and she's an incredible leader. Her name was Rachel Held Evans. She died about one year ago and she was a mentor to, for me. She was one of those people that threw a, a lifeline. She's like, if you can grab onto this, I'm like, pull yeah. you. I, I had several of those and she was one of them. And I remember she called me right in the middle of that firestorm, as you called it, um, from an airport. She was just watching my career in flames and, um, and nobody's designed for that level of negative attention. Mm -hmm. It's too much for a human person to take on. And she goes, I'm going to tell you something right now that you will not be able to believe because you're in the middle of it. Um, everything's loud. It's so scary. And, and then your future is unknown. She's like, but I'm going to tell you, first of all, you will rebuild. You will. Mm -hmm. You will rebuild on something solid and true. You'll be telling the truth. And that is important. You will, um, you will discover a community that you don't even know exists yet. You haven't seen it yet, but you're going to get there. 
don't worry. But she said, even right now, while everything's on fire around you, including yourself, she said, I want to tell you that your integrity and doing the right thing is its own comfort and its own reward. And she said, they will serve you before those flames recede. Um, they will be a comfort to you because you'll be able to look yourself in the mirror every day. And she was right. She was right. And I hung on to those. So I told myself, I am not going to walk this back. I'm not going to soft sell it. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to defend. Um, I'm not going to try to repair what has been lost. I'm just going to stand here in these, in these waves and they will eventually recede. And they did. Mm -hmm. They always do. Mm -hmm. And so even for women who are listening, who like my particular scenario, what doesn't make sense to them. It's not their experience. Right. It's not their environment. It doesn't matter. Any woman who has decided to honor her own integrity, to say what is real and true and honest, um, when what is really preferred in the scenario is her silence or her complicity or for her to be smaller, she knows this space where we, we have a choice to make. And I'm just telling you, one way, it's going to cost us one way or another because our silence and our complicity costs us. Mm -hmm. So we, we think we're you know, keeping the peace, as women say, but really what, we, what that means is we have no peace mm -hmm. and we're paying the bill for mm -hmm. everybody else to maintain their status quo. So we're going to pay. So why, we can either pay to stay stuck and small and sad and pretending, or we can pay to be free. So really it's just a question of what do we want at the end of it? Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of feels like over here, if we're going to pay to stay silent, we're going to pay that. That's a monthly fee for the rest of our lives and the interest accrues and you'll never pay it off yeah. over here. It's more like one lump sum and it's yeah. a doozy. It is a doozy, but then you're debt free. You're debt free and you live in liberation. It's worth it. It's worth it all. Well, and whether that's, I think people, it, it's easy to think, well, I don't have, you know, I hear a lot of uh, the word platform now. And like these, this doesn't have to be like a big public. This could be something that's a relationship with a friend. This could be totally you know, like, this is in any, any of those scenarios. So let me ask you, um, I, I always think it's interesting, you know, and uh, from the outside, you would imagine like, oh, I bet one of her proudest moments was when she got the call that she was a New York Times bestseller. One of the proudest moments was, you know, b buying a house or whatever it was. Can you, are, are there, um, is there a moment somewhere along the journey? One of those moments where you're just like, maybe you got off a stage or you finished a book event or, or you were with your family where you just sat back for that one moment, you know, those sweet moments that come in the, in the chaos of everything and thought to yourself, like I did, like, this is really happening. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm meant to be here. I'm, I'm, and, and just that, you know, that yeah. feeling that's, um, yeah. are there, can you think of any of those yeah. moments? I love that question. Um, I mentioned to you that all my last three books um, have been on the New York Times list and they all debuted at number two. Number two, number two, that that's classic okay. Spot. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. And the first one was For the Love and that book was released in 2015 where I was still very deeply embedded in my original community. Okay. Um, and so that had a lot of success and a lot of favor and it was touted by the community and um, in between For the Love and of Mess and Moxie was when we chose to really make a, a departure 
from that community and to kind of stand in our own integrity, as I mentioned, that's where we took a hard left and, um, and it changed everything. Like it, it changed literally everything and not a year later, Mess and Moxie was going to come out. And I remember just thinking, well, now I'm going to just learn, like, this is what it's going to feel like when you burn your career down and then you write another book, like you're about to find out, you know, yeah. you're about to find out um, how deep the losses were and how many people um, have left your side, you know, how not just readers, but colleagues, friends, partners, you know, you, you, this, now you'll know, now you'll know. And so, you know, I committed to do my best possible work, no matter what, that even if one tenth of the people were reading or listening or still with me, that's that one tenth mattered. And so I'm like, I'm going to do my best work. I will leave nothing on the table. I will, I will hold nothing back. I will write um, with diligence and commitment to my community. Um, and all my, my little world was still very wobbly, very, very wobbly. Um, it had not stabilized yet. It was not, I was not over the hump there. It was still contentious so often. And I was, it was not, it was just still not quite safe. And so when Moxie came out at number two, Mm. on the New York Times bestseller list, you could have bowled me over with a feather. I mean, I, I, again, to your earlier question, remember where I was and my phone rang. Wait, where were you? Well, I was, I was in the living room and my phone rang and I saw, and I wasn't paying attention to that day. I didn't even occur to me that that was going to be a possibility. And it was my agent and I answered and I heard a whole bunch of people on the phone. Like they had done this big like conference call and they were like, can you put this on speaker? And it was my whole publishing team. And they were like, Jen, Moxie came out today at number two. And I, I don't remember what I said. I can't remember what I said to them, but I put my phone down. My husband was in the backyard and I ran out to the backyard and I sobbed like I hit him like a linebacker like face to chest and I just sobbed like sobbed my eyes out well Jen this has just been a joy the joy that I knew it would be um any final words from you any thank you by the by the way for having me on I feel so honored by the invitation and the inclusion in this little list of women Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate it. And I just want to say to the women who are listening that you're it. You are it. So rise up and take your place. Um, we're all waiting for you. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Jen. 